We are back at it. Hola, mis amigos. Carson Cunningham <laughs> back. Back with you from uh, vacation in Mexico. I'm tan, rested, and ready to hang out with uh, Kyle Porter here. Kyle, how was your weekend? Well, I am uh, not tan, not rested, uh, but I am ready uh, to, to talk some, some Oklahoma State, some Matthew Wolf. My, my weekend was good. It was full of golf. It was... Um, I was just just grinding over the players, so kind of got a kind of got a reprieve this week. Probably gonna try to go play some golf, hang out with the fam, uh, and get ready for Augusta here in a few weeks. Yeah, I mean it's golf's in full swing. Uh, I did miss the OSU basketball game, which we'll get to at first. But let's start with golf. I guess the OSU golf team finished fourth in the Valspar Collegiate, but the the headline is Matthew Wolf uh, wins again. He's I think you, you can argue, uh, Kyle, he's having one of, if not the best college seasons of all time, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, you're, you're stealing some of my takes here. I, 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 form, I was formulating a take this morning that he is uh, possibly the best golfer in Oklahoma State history. Whoa, now that's a mouthful. And the numbers back it up. So if you look at the season that he's having, his his – Scoring average right now through so he's played in eight events, seven kind of regular events, and then he played the East Lake Cup, which is kind of part stroke play, part match play. Anyway, his scoring average right now through eight events, he's won five of them. He's the medalist in five of them. Scoring average is sixty-seven point nine five. The best season in Oklahoma State history was Charles Howell in two thousand. And his scoring average was uh, a stroke and a half higher than that. Wow. He barely broke seven. No, only one golfer has ever broken 70 for a single season, and that was Charles Howe in, in 2000. And he barely broke 70. And, and Matthew Wolf is at 67.95. That's nuts. He's got, just, he's got, he's got five. He's the only golfer ever in Oklahoma State history with five wins through two seasons. Uh, a bunch of guys had four. Peter Ewan had four through two seasons, uh, and he's not even. And Wolf's not even. He's still got five events left. He's listen to this, Carson. The NCAA record for sing, for wins in a single season is eight by somebody that you've probably heard of. Tiger named, named Tiger Woods. He Wolf, owns every record, by the way. Wolf has five events to get three more wins to match Tiger Woods for most wins in Whoa. a single season. Well, that that to me is the most stunning part. He's only he's midway through his sophomore season, and he's approaching Tiger. Like, just think if he was a you know Charles Howell played what three four years at OSU. So, uh, I will say Scott Verplank did win a PGA Tour event <laughs> as an amateur. That uh, that's a big feather in his cap. But no, you're you're right. He he's certainly trending as the best golfer in OSU history, and I think if he matches Tiger for wins. And wins the individual this year. I think you could, you could even put his resume above Tiger's, maybe as far as college is concerned. Obviously, Tiger won all those U.S. amateurs as well, but that, yeah, and, that's and the that, trajectory he's on. Well, and that's part of it, right? Is that you have these big like, and this this is the hard part about evaluate. It's it's not as straightforward as like NCAA football or basketball to where it's like, okay, this is this is these are all the stats. Like these thirteen games, this is all Barry Sanders. This is all we have. These are all the numbers. But with college golf, you're like, well, he played the USAM over here, and that's not really part of the season, but it's like a bigger deal than the season. 
and then you've got the NCAA individual, but that kind of gets buried by the by the NCAA team play. So there, I don't know. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot going on, and I think it does matter that he hasn't won uh, like a USAM. I don't think he won a US Junior AM or anything like that. So that stuff does matter um, because you look at guys like Tiger and Spieth. Tiger won multiple Junior AMs. Spieth won multiple Junior AMs. Tiger won three USAM. I mean, it, th- those are huge deals, you know, to to win events like that. Um, and he hasn't done that. So I think, I think all of that stuff, play, Peter Uline won a USAM, Victor Hovland won a, won last year's USAM. Uh, so I think all of that stuff matters, but I think a lot of this is like what you do as a pro kind of retroactively tells us how good you were in college. And I know that maybe that's a dumb way to do it, but that's sort of like, I mean, if Ty, if 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 Wolf goes on to win like 15 times on the PGA Tour, you're like, oh well, he was the best. He was the best guy in Oklahoma State history, best golfer in Oklahoma State history. But if he doesn't, then I think I think he he's you can make the case for somebody else. And and I don't know, maybe that's unfair, but that's sort of the way it is in golf. All of that being said, how preposterous is it that Wolf has the number two next to his name on OSU's team? Victor Hovland has number one. Is he number? Is he the number one ranked amateur? No, I'm just saying on golfstat.com, when you look at their scores, Wolf is the number two golfer for OSU and Hovland's number one. Alan Bratton said Victor Hovland's name first when they were doing match play. That, that, as good as Matthew Wolf is, it feels like Victor Hovland's right there, and Hovland did win the USAM. But I, I am here, Kyle, for OSU winning an international title, and I want a Hovland. Hovland and Wolf better be on opposite sides of the bracket come USAM time. I want them to meet in the final. How great would that be? Well, that's the thing. Are they? Is Wolf even going to play in the USAM? I th- didn't. He say he wanted to. Didn't he say that was like on his like list of things to do before he I turned th- pro? I thought he said he was going to turn pro like around the U.S. Open, but I might have. I, I might have misread that. I'm, I, I think when we had him on the podcast, I think playing in the USAM and and winning it, I think was like right under turning pro, like as far as his list of things to do. How, I think he how, wanted to. Do How that. good would that be, though? A Wolf, a Wolf Hovland final in the USAM, and the USAM's hard because match play is so volatile, and it's just yeah. it's it's kind Unless of. Unless you're Hovland, yeah, you don't trail for a hole in like five matches. Over or five matches, it yeah, it's kind of a mess. But um, man, it's I, I think you know when is when is the last time you could you could definitively say an Oklahoma State team has the best player in the country. By f- I guess by far. I mean, that's the thing. Like you mentioned, Hovland. Like Sean Martin's tweeting out stats about how like the events they've played, they're pretty much equal. Like they've like they've they've been naked. I mean, they've been like the same. You know, and that yeah. that's that's crazy. Like if you can just have your three through five guys play just average, then you you should you should win another national championship. You know. Yeah, I'm getting a little worried about that, too. I mean, they finished fourth, which it's normal to not win every golf tournament. I understand that. But um, Hayden Wood finished T63. Zach yeah. Bushu, Kyle, I think when you go back to that national championship, doesn't it feel like Bushu kind of had, you know, he struggled in the stroke play and then was completely out of his mind in the match play, specifically the the final. Yeah, he shot a 29 uh, on the front in the final. <laughs> 29. Yeah. Like, he seems like a guy like you could tell me he shoots 82 or 62 and I would just kind of shrug and say, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So 
he's not playing well right now. Ekrot finished T37. Ekrot beat Wolf in the the junior USAM, which is kind of crazy that they're teammates now. But um, but no, I mean they should absolutely be the the front runner to win it all. And I guess you know as much as we talked about Wolf, Victor Hovland's going to be playing in the Masters. That's that's pretty exciting as well. That's coming up soon. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I, I was doing my my Masters rankings where I go one through ninety or whatever whatever the field eventually is. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think for somebody like him, like you're not playing, you're obviously as an amateur, you're not playing to win it, but if he can get to the weekend, like that's, that's the coolest, like that is such a cool experience to have that, uh, under your belt. I, I can't remember, you know, there's been a few guys over the last few years that have made it to the weekend. I think the best finish it, this sent like the last 20 years was I think Ryan Moore in 2005 or 2004 finished like T13. Can you imagine as an amateur finishing <laughs> in the top 15 at the masters? But, uh, you know, Hovland's played a couple of, of, uh, PJ tour events, made the cut at Bay Hill. I mean, I think he has a legit chance to make the cut at Augusta. I think, I think it'll be tough, but I think it's not like out of the realm of possibility for him to, to make that final 60 or what 50, whatever the number is. No, that's we've seen that before. So that that's exciting. I guess Alan Bratton will probably be on the bag for him. So that'll be a that'll be pretty cool um, for OSU fans to to see. Hopefully, they show a few shots of Victor. That that sometimes that's that's uh, a crapshoot. But um, did, did, did you, you see did you see who greeted Matthew Wolf after his win? Uh, Ricky Fowler was there <laughs> on hand. He isn't he uh, the, the the he's like a Walmart greeter. He's always at he's always on the green waiting to greet the winners. <laughs> I got did, he greet, did he greet Rory? Did, did I got, he greet, congratulations for Rory winning, by the way. Did he greet Rory on the green? No, he didn't. I got a few hilarious texts about that, though. <laughs> the, so, some of my golf writer friends were, uh, were having the, a good time with it. The tweet that he's like the new Dash Day will always <laughs> live in my mind. Jason Day's kid running up on the green. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Ricky didn't have a great player. So I think you, I think he was sick or something on the first day. Uh, he, he played all right on the on the final three, but uh, yeah, I mean he's certainly going to be, you know, I think he's in my top seven or so for for Augusta. So, well, I'm in a one and done, and I might pick Ricky to win the Masters this year. Yeah, I'm, I mean I'm, he, he's in he's my got, queue. He's got a good record there. He's playing pretty well. Um, he always plays know. well there. He always plays well at Augusta. Yeah. Well, one year, like three years ago, he shot like an 80 in the first round. Do you remember that? I do. <laughs> yes. It was like, what? And it, I think it was the year right after he had the top five. Mm-hmm. And you're like, whoa, what is, what's going on? But yeah, you're right. The last few years, he's he's been pretty solid there. Uh, you want to go to OSU basketball? Yep. Let's talk about... Season, season's over. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about your... You, Are you great. sure you want to? Remember when I brought him up? My uh, loyal follower, uh, Blake Huddleston, brought this up. I guess I was talking up your and A as a building block, and you kind of were like, eh, he's just okay. Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. You it was, yeah. you had a great call early in the season that he was he was going to be the guy. Mike Boynton called him a star. Like, 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 future, like, people are, like, talking him up as, like, a future – star or superstar in in the big 12 and uh i mean the last three or four games he was he was unbelievable uh 17 points on seven of nine shooting 10 rebounds seven blocks 
that was on the heels of a 14.9 rebound six block game against West Virginia. I mean, he's a game changer. And, you know, Mitchell Solomon was excellent as a senior. But past that one season, I think you can make a strong case. Uh, Yorin is the best big man since... Michael who? Collins? <laughs> well past him. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, with all apologies to Travis. Uh, past Collins. Uh, maybe Marshall Moses, I think, doesn't quite get his due. When he was on... The, like, Marshall Moses is per 36 minutes, if you could find a per 36 for college... Like, when he was on the floor, he was dominant. He just couldn't stay out of foul trouble, and they didn't have a backup, so it was even more glaring. But uh, I thought Marshall Moses was a total stud once he, when he was on the floor. But different players, obviously. He was more offensive than, than yours defensive. But he's, he's one of the best big men they've, ever, they've had in a long time, Kyle. And um, it's, it's stunning he's only a freshman. It's stunning that he, he does what he does with the limitations he has with his hand where he's missing a few fingers. I mean, he's been... He's really come on here the last few games, and I think I think you're right. He is a building block. You want to hear Marshall Moses' per 40 minutes numbers? Mm. So I got it pulled up on uh, sportsreference.com. Oh, uh, you have per, it. Yeah. His per 40 is 19 points, 10 boards, uh, one and a half steal, one and a half assists, uh, a block, and a steal. 19 and 10? Yeah. God, that, that illustrates my point. He averaged probably fourteen and six. Probably he averaged, that just shows you sen- he just his senior year. He averaged fourteen and seven. Ex- Man, my memory is pretty good, huh? <laughs> That's his, pretty salty. His uh, his per one hundred possessions was uh, twenty nine points, fifteen rebounds. Ah, I tell you, man, like, yeah, he just yeah, could not he, stay out of foul trouble. When he was on the floor, he was dominant. Yeah, he was good. And he was like, he was like, he was one of those guys who he was probably listed at 6'9. You're like, nah, he might be like 6'7. <laughs> he was like 6'6, six, six, playing <laughs> on the low block, <laughs> just posting but dudes up, too. He, he was so good at, at being able to like control his body and just. Like after every game, you're like, "How's this? How's this dude so good?" But he he would do it every game. Um, yeah, he was like a six man early in his career, and then his his last two years, he was he was virtually unstoppable, really. Yeah, I mean, and those those numbers those numbers back it up offensively. So yeah, I, I got your is awesome. I got a quote here um, from Boynton. This is this is an article that Barry Trammell wrote about your being a star. I he does he's not Boynton's not quoted as saying he's a star, but uh, Barry says. I asked him if a star was on the horizon with incoming recruits. Boynton said he might already have one on campus. And then he goes on to say, this is Boynton. It says, it's a good start when you have a seven-foot kid who can change the game without even scoring a basket. I'm excited about what he can become. He's really just scratching the surface of what he can become. The instincts he has from a shot-blocking standpoint, you can't teach. And it's a game-changer for other teams in terms of game preparation. Yeah. I mean, that's, that sums it up perfectly. Yeah, it's pretty pretty heady stuff, too. Uh, because, I mean, you got to admit, like the first, what, 10 games, 15 games, it was like, eh, okay, I mean, maybe. The, the, uh, the Ting A-Cole vibes were, were strong early in the season. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, it, it could go either way. And then he turned into Hashim Tabit at the end of yeah, the season. <laughs> yeah, and then all of his college Hashim Tabit. But, right. yeah, by, by the end of the year. And I, I think that's it, it's it's easy to forget, like, him and Isaac likely like they're, they're so young, you know, and your, your first 10, 15, 20 games, you're just like, 
what's going on? What is this? You know, how fast is this? And then I think by the end of that freshman year, you finally start figuring out what you can become and, and maybe what the future looks like a little bit. Well, to me, that's the most encouraging thing. Look, this season was a disaster. I mean, 10, yeah. 10 wins, 20 losses, that is as bad as it gets. But I think it would have been far more disappointing if they were getting blown out every game, losing by 20 points, 30 points. Remember that game you and I watched down at your house when they lost by like 30 to Tech? Like if mm. the rest of the season had played out that way and they didn't have all of these guys returning, then I would really start to question where this program is heading. But I think Mike Boynton's proven to us he's a good coach and they have all those all their scholarship guys are coming back next year. So if they just get some warm bodies, let alone these recruits turning into really good players, they could really have something for next year. So as bad as it was, I'm I'm somewhat encouraged based on how hard they played and the promise they showed down the stretch. Yeah, and this last this last two months of recruiting is going to be super interesting, uh, Carson. Or well, I guess not recruiting, but like so the signing the next signing period starts I think April seventeenth, and it runs for a month. And I think they're gonna I think they're gonna sign somebody in that time. They've got I believe two scholarships available, and we're gonna talk about this later. But I'll go ahead and bring it up now. Christian Brown to Georgia, so they lose out on Christian Brown. Uh, which is, I mean, that's a disappointment. He was a top, I think, 60 guy, and it seemed like they were, they were like, right there for him, and then all of a sudden he goes to, to Tom Crean at Georgia. But, you know, they're, they're probably going to add somebody. Dustin Ragusa wrote an article about who that might be, and then there was some news that came out on uh, Tuesday. We're taping this on a Tuesday. Kyle Boone wrote about this. It's, it's on our site right now. But there was a kid that was committed to Texas A&M, named uh what's his name chris harris uh he's number he's a top 130 guy kind of kind of where likely was uh as a as a senior in high school and he just asked for his release from a&m because a&m fired or, or is going to fire or i think they already fired uh their coach billy kennedy uh so he's back on he's he's on the table and it's somebody that oklahoma state was recruiting somebody who was actually like tight with likely um, so that, mm. that could be interesting because I, I, I plugged him into their recruiting class calculator or whatever. I was kind of, kind of deep in it this morning, but, uh, he gets them, if, if they get him, they're back into like the 15, 16, 17 range, uh, in terms of, uh, overall recruiting class, which is, mm. I mean, that's, that's no small thing. So I, I'm interested to see how this last, last month or two goes before the summer hits. My eyebrows are raised. Yeah. Um, I was going to save this for one interesting thing, but I guess this is probably the best time to bring it up. I was at the Thunder uh, Warriors game, and it was one of the rare times we, we had a seat down on the floor. So I had this great seat, and I turn around, and Mike Boynton's sitting in front row right behind me. Mm. And so at halftime, I, I kind of went over and said hello. And, and I'll say this. Mike Boynton is... You can tell why he's a good recruiter because he he remembers my name and he should absolutely not remember my name. I haven't been to a game most of the season. I don't yeah. ask him questions at practice. I'm easily forgettable in in his mind, <laughs> but he 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 remembers my name, says it every time I see him, which I think is a sign of a great recruiter because I always heard stories from from people that know Bill Self that he could remember your grandma's name, your aunt and uncle's name. He, he would remember people's names that he met. 10 years ago, one time. And that's, that to me is a sign of a great recruiter. And, uh, I asked him, you know, are you going on? I just told him I got back from vacation. Are you going on a vacation anytime soon? I know signing day is coming up and 
He said he wasn't going on vacation until about May. So I think he's going to be hitting the recruiting trail pretty hard. So it was good to see him. And he's a super nice guy. He's with his wife. And uh, it's easy to see why he's a good recruiter, Kyle, because he remembers a no name like me. I need to have uh, Jim Nance, Mike Boynton, and Bill Self in a name off because Nance remembers everybody. Knows Does everybody. he really? Unbelievable. Doesn't I that mean, make you feel so inferior? Because I can't remember anybody's name. And that's really embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It does. Um, no, that's that is that is one interesting thing. That's great. Now, I you know, and and I think that, I mean, the last few games of the season, Carson, it got me excited for next year, because all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, I know what Wendy and Cam are. They can be they're pieces. They're good, uh, and, and apparently you're unlikely are going to be possibly really good. All Big then, Twelve guys. And then you've got not you don't just have it's it's not as if when you're bringing these guys in okay well we're, all our eggs are in one basket it's all on this guy because that goes badly like that guy can get hurt whatever they've got three guys that I think can be pieces you know and and like you said it's not like they're getting beat by by thirty and forty and some, well, some of the games they were I mean, Kansas State was bad Texas Tech was bad but. I don't know. I, I, I have a lot of optimism for next year and, and maybe it goes badly and maybe that's the beginning of the end for Mike Boynton, but I, I'm I'm optimistic, I'm excited, I'm ready, I'm already ready for Oklahoma State basketball for for next season. Yeah, I had I had a doom and gloom on OSU basketball as a whole, but I'll save that for your one interesting thing. We'll we'll, okay. we'll save that for later. Okay. Uh what else? Sean Gleason speaks to the media. Did you see any of this? I did see some of that. First time to meet him. Uh, he seems energetic. You wrote a piece about it on the, on the blog. What was your biggest takeaway from him? Uh, my biggest takeaway was just his demeanor. He, 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 I think, you know, I like Mike Yersich. I, I thought he was underrated. I thought he was uh, interesting to talk to. I thought he was funny. But Gleason seems much more uh, cheery, just uh, lighthearted, fun. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what the right word is. Uh, but I think he's he, he also seems very smart, very intelligent about, about what he's talking about. And, and I thought what was interesting, Carson, is, you know, and I think this is kind of the direction that Gundy's going in. He talked at the end of these interviews about the, the, the offensive staff, the offensive planning room with Casey Dunn and, and uh, McIndoo and all these guys. It's not a it's not a hierarchy. It's very galvanized. It's very much equivalent input. Now somebody's got to pull the trigger and make the calls, but I, I think that I think that Gundy values that, and I, I think that as as long as you can kind of mesh that all together, uh, I, I think that the offense will just continue humming as, as it is. Well, you wrote the headline is his Sean Gleason Sean Gleason talks about his one non-negotiable. What is that non-negotiable? Uh it was uh no huddle offense. Which oh, okay. <laughs> which I think is just like a does anybody huddle in college? Not anymore, hardly anybody. Yeah, so not I, even I like Alabama does. Yeah, it, it's it was kind of like, oh, that that's your non like that was the thing. But it was interesting because he talked about, you know, I think it was Jenny Carlson asked him, why didn't you take, like, you got a lot of job offers. Why this one? And he said it came down to Gundy and that Gundy has been there a long time, that he's a good coach, that he's well-liked, that he, that he knows the pro, you know, the, just kind of all the, the continuity stuff that Gundy talks about. And, uh, I don't know. He seemed pretty fired up to, to be 
working in Stillwater and, and working for Gundy. Isn't that stunning that Gundy's like the third longest tenured coach in the country? Yeah, Kirk Ferentz, Gary Patterson, and Gundy. That's it. That's the list. That's remarkable. It's crazy. And I guess that's why I don't necessarily get too wrapped up or fired up about who the who the offense coordinator is anymore. Like I think I I think I did when they obviously they hired Dana and, and Munkin. And even when they hired Yursich, I thought it was I had a lot of, you know, abrasive opinions. Now like it's just kinda like it is what it is, isn't it? Like they're gonna score points, throw SU, that's kind of their their mantra and as long as Gundy's the head coach I'm not really too worried about that that's kind of just why I'm not too excited or discouraged either way about about Gleason well and one of the things I was thinking about you think you think uh, Dana and, and Munkin cared a lot about like galvanizing the the coaching team room on offense uh, to quote them F no <laughs> You think Dana was like, I really want input from everybody in this room. What do you, what do you guys think? He probably threw stuff at them to get out of the room. Uh, you mentioned the, who huddles anymore, Kyle? Wouldn't it like football is so cyclical? Wouldn't it be like a, a almost a reverse no huddle if someone huddled up and yeah. just sprinted to the line and and snapped the ball? Like, isn't that like a wrinkle like no teams have seen in a it's, while? It's, well, and it, we always talk about Gandhi being on kind of like ahead of the curve. It seems like something that he would go back to. It's almost, and, and they're sort of reverting in the other direction, right? Like they were, they were the spread it out. They were the bring the air raid to the power five. I mean, along with other teams, but they were, you know, they were up there ahead of that curve. And now they've gone back to like the cowboy backs and let's, you know, let's have these six, seven guys at the end of the line. Like Jelani, let's, let's get a bunch of Jelani. Yeah. And- I mean, remember that game you and I were at, the, the Texas game, where yeah. they ran power eye and it was yeah. like this huge, massive wrinkle that no one saw coming and the <laughs> other team didn't know what to do. Like football's gone so far one way that it almost feel like, it feels like it's going to come back the other, back to more traditional stuff. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild, but uh, no, it, it was it was good to see Gleason. Good to um, just hear him talk about you know I, I and I don't think we'll talk to him again until probably the golf tournament in August or whenever it is July. Uh, so you know, I guess that's that until then. But I, I'm excited about you know what he is, what he can become, and you know I, I think the the primary thing is. What's the relationship between him and Spencer Sanders, him and Drew Brown? Are they going to use both of them, neither? I mean, what, what, how's all that going to play out? I, I think that's kind of the big – I mean, obviously the big storyline is the quarterback, but I think also that quarterback's relationship with the offensive coordinator is going to be a, kind of a big thing coming out of spring. Yeah, that's going to be fun to watch. I mean, we haven't seen a quarterback battle in, in Stillwater in quite some time, so – New offensive coordinator, fresh start for the quarterbacks too. That's that's going to be key. I know, I know Dustin Reguse is big on on the Costello kids, so maybe it's and maybe it'll be a three horse race. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, should be fun. Okay, let's get to this week's OSU schedule. Brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Uh, not a lot on tap this week, Carson. We got baseball at DBU down here in Dallas on Tuesday which is tonight for us. We're taping this on Tuesday morning. DBU, is that LSU? DBU? That's Dallas Baptist. (laughs) I know. Oh. Uh, LSU actually is like defensive back university. Oh, yes, yes. Um, I just whiffed on that. 
We got <laughs> wrestling at the NCAA starting on Thursday. Uh, one notable thing here, it's in Pittsburgh, which is, last time I checked, pretty close to Penn State, which is not ideal for uh, the Oklahoma States of the world. Uh, and then we've got baseball at home against Kansas State starting on Friday. I think, I mean, obviously wrestling's the main event. Uh, we'll see how Oklahoma State does. Uh, I, I, the NCAAs are always fun because you, you kind of go to Big 12s thinking like, oh, OSU's going to roll. It's kind of just a matter of who's going to get a, you know, a top seed at NCAAs, who's going to win that kind of thing. But the team event isn't really in doubt or it hasn't been for the last few years. And then you go to NCAAs and it's like, wow, there's some real drama here. And, and OSU is kind of the underdog, which is, which is weird. It's, it's kind of a weird spot for them to be in. Yeah. And they're not going there to try to win five or six individual national championships. They just need to get guys and multiple guys to the semis and the finals. Yeah, just to have a shot at, yeah. at trying to and hope and hope that Penn State has some upsets that so a couple of their better guys lose a little earlier than expected. So a lot of that's out of your hands. You just got to take care of your own business. And and again, I think we're accustomed to seeing multiple guys in the championship uh, bout, basically the finals. Uh, but OSU just needs to start getting more and more guys to the quarter semis and, and rack up those points because they've they've been way behind the last the last few years. Yeah, they really have. Um, so yeah, that's that's the schedule for this week. Uh, I think this is baseball's first uh, conference series, um, so that should be fun. Obviously, softball and tennis and cross country and everything else going on, but those are kind of the the main events. Uh, so okay, let's hear one more time from our sponsor, Chris's University Spirit, and then we'll come back uh, with one interesting thing and wrap things up. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head to toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, you already used your one interesting thing. Do you have another one for me, or do you want me to, uh, do you want me to get to mine? Uh, go ahead. Okay, my one interesting thing is our, <clears throat> this post I wrote about 10 incredible facts about the last time Oklahoma State won an NCAA basketball tournament, or uh, excuse me, an NCAA tournament game. It's not good. It's not going to be pretty. Do you want to go? Do you want to go down this road with me? I suppose it's going to be dark and uh, treacherous, but let's go. So the NCAA tournament starts on. I guess it starts today with the the play in. What what are they called? The first. What are we calling it? First. First round? four. First four. Whatever. Uh, last time Oklahoma State won an NCAA tournament game, Brandon Brandon Whedon had thrown three college football passes. <laughs> Against Missouri State. I don't remember that at all. I don't either. That might be a glitch in the system by uh, college football reference because I don't. 2008. I mean, he was there, I think. I don't he know. He was on campus, I think. But 2009, 2009 was the year that Zach that was the, got hurt. 
Yeah, that was the Colorado year. Okay, Mike Gundy had just crossed the one million dollar threshold per year as a head coach. Since this OSU's, was a couple since years o- after the rant. Yeah, since OSU's last tur- NCAA tournament win, Gundy has made thirty million dollars. <laughs> goes a lot. That goes a long way in Stillwater. This is my favorite one. Last time Oklahoma State won an NCAA tournament game, Ricky Fowler was an amateur golfer. He had not turned professional. Interesting. Uh, Justin Blackman had zero college receptions. Hmm. Tylen Wallace was nine years old. Yeah, don't get me started on those. Barack those kids, Obama born in two thousand. Bar- yeah, Barack Obama had been president for thirty nine days. The last time, <laughs> the last time Oklahoma State won an NCAA tournament game. Eddie Sutton was one year removed from his final coaching job at San Francisco. I forgot that even happened, that he coached at San Francisco. Des Bryant had made $0 playing football, and he has now made $57 million playing football. And this was right around when he had to sit out for not breaking an NCAA rule? Mm -hmm, Right before it. Uh, Since Oklahoma State won an NCAA tournament game in 2009, Kentucky has 28 NCAA tournament wins. Butler has 16, West Virginia has 11, Baylor has 10, VCU has 8, Cornell and Harvard both have 2, Norfolk State, Holy Cross, and Moorhead <laughs> State all have 1 more Yikes. than Oklahoma State. The the Baylor number stands out there. They have 10 it's, tournament wins. Baylor. Yeah, it's not good. Last time Oklahoma State won an NCAA tournament game, Nick Saban had 8 losses at Alabama. He now has 21 losses at Alabama. Gah. That's crazy. That's insane. And the last time Oklahoma State won an NCAA tournament game, the most advanced piece of technology Apple had ever invented was the iPhone 3G. Did you have an iPhone 3G? I did, and I saw one recently, and I could not believe how (laughs) tiny it was. (laughs) I was like stunned that I ever thought that was like a piece of technology. Well, it's like how did you how did you text on it? Like, do we have do we have like magnifying glasses to text? Yeah, I have like really good vision, and I felt like I needed like a a magnifying glass or like thick glasses to even (laughs) read the screen. So uh, yeah, not not great. People are getting on me about. Oh, well, they, they've gotten to the tournament. And it's like, well, yeah, I, I watched them all. Uh, by the way, this webs- my, the website didn't exist. I, I, have not, I have never covered an Oklahoma State tournament win. Wow. That's, that might be the best one or the worst one, however you want to look at it. Isn't that crazy? Well, that kind of leads me to my – I guess this is my one interesting thing to go with yours. I don't think it's even arguable that OSU has the worst basketball program in the Big 12 currently. When you look at TCU, has uh, Coach Dixon, you know, one of the best coaches in the league. Uh, what's his first name? Jamie. <laughs> Jamie Dixon. I thought it was Jamie Dixon. I was like, am I going to screw up his name? Uh, TCU, I think, used to be, but they, they kind of have things going in the right direction with Jamie Dixon. He's far more of a known than, than Mike Boynton is. Baylor, you mentioned they had 10 wins in the tournament. Scott Drew's been to two Elite Eights. Chris Beard has Tech rolling. Kansas is Kansas. Bruce Weber has K-State rolling. Uh, Texas, I think, is just a notch above OSU, but they're right there with OSU in the bottom right now. Uh, they just cannot get out of their own way as well. Uh, make a case, Kyle. Is, is OSU not the worst uh, basketball program in the Big 12? Well, I, I, th- I think, I mean, the hard part is the case revolves around the hypothetical, the unknown. You know, I think they're, I, I don't or know. Just, or just currently. I mean, currently. 
Oh, currently, like yeah. without including like, but you but with this stuff, don't you have to include like what's their recruiting like? Sure, but I mean, Boynton's recruiting was good last year. So if you look at Big Twelve only, uh, wow, I guess they're so. So next year, in terms of next year's recruiting, two thousand nineteen, Texas is number one in the Big Twelve. Tech is number two. Mm-hmm. That's not good. Uh, OU's <laughs> OU's number three, and Oklahoma State's number four. The the only schools with well, I guess um, so. Texas has one five star coming in. West Virginia has a five star, and then OU, OSU, and TCU all have three four stars. So uh, yeah, I mean it's tough. It's tough to make that case. Uh, I, I mean, mean I, I, I know TCU hasn't been in the tournament in the last several years while OSU has been in the tournament over the last few years. But as of right now, I think OSU is the worst program as far as what? where they're at with, with what they have. And uh, the thing the thing that kills me is we love to get and, – and OSU fans love to get worked up about oh, basketball school. This is, this is Let's get back to being a basketball school. And it's kind of like, well, is it a basketball school? Because since 2000, Oklahoma State has 11 NCAA tournament wins. So this century, they have 11 NCAA tournament wins. This includes the Final Four run, everything. Uh, that's one more than Kansas State and Baylor, and the same number as Iowa State. Hmm. So we're not looking at like a five-year period. This is the last two decades, 20 years of basketball. OU and Texas have uh, almost, I think they both have like 20 NCAA tournament wins in that period of time. And Kansas has 49. So I think I think that Oklahoma State fans think of their basketball program overall generally as being closer to Kansas than uh, certainly Kansas State. But the reality is that it's Kansas State, right? Yeah, I mean, and look at and look I, the argument against that. Like, like tournament wins to me are pretty volatile. Like the NCAA tournament, it's a one-off game. I, let's look at where they finished in the Big Twelve since Eddie Sutton's Eddie Sutton's last year, uh, where he had to. I guess it, what, his last full season, they went to the Sweet Sixteen. He, the, the year he got in his car accident and Sean took over, they finished seventh. Yeah, they have not finished in the. They finished in the top half of the league. Just just the top half, not even like contending for the Big Twelve. They finished fourth in 08-09 and third in 2012-2013. The rest of the time, they've been sixth or worse. Yeah. In the league, in the yeah. entire league. So, like, forget about the NCAA tournament. Just be relevant in your own conference before we start talking about where they are as a, as a program. I mean, or a basketball school. I mean, that's why, like, I, I'm so tired of hearing, like, the Thunders hurting attendance for OSU. It's like, no, they haven't been in the top half of the league for a decade. Right, like they haven't they haven't been competitive for a, yeah. to be like <laughs> even in contention, let alone you know winning the league. So it's just that's where they're at, and that's what that's the kind of the ultimate point I'm trying to make here is where they're at as a program right now is is the worst in the Big Twelve. And I don't think that's even arguable at this point. Yeah, no, that's I, not I, to say. And again, I everything I said earlier in this podcast holds true. I think I was encouraged with the way the season ended, despite. Having six guys, they they played competitively. We mentioned URNA and all the guys they have coming back. But as the current state of affairs, state of the union, they're the worst program. <laughs> state of the union. Well, on that positive note, have you filled out a bracket? Are you going to fill out a bracket? Well, and this coincides with 
you know, my interest level in college basketball is probably the lowest it's been in my life. I watched yeah. the selection show. I was at work. Once they showed where OU was and I got all my stuff done for work, I quit watching the selection show. I didn't even care. Yeah. I, don't, I, I haven't even seen a bracket yet. I don't even know who's in the tournament hardly. Isn't, isn't that crazy? Like nuts. 20-year-old me is like, what's wrong with you? Well, and I know everyone thinks things were better when they were kids, and that's largely untrue, but the product of college basketball is way worse than it was when you and I were growing up. There were NBA-level players in college basketball when you and I were watching college basketball. Those guys would yeah, stay there are three still, or four years. Yeah, there's still, I mean, there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of NBA guys in the tournament. Just go back to that, what was that, 06, 07, the Florida-Ohio State game? Yeah, there, were like, there were like eight NBA players in that game. <laughs> that, That's not going to happen now. That was, that was sick. It's just that not going to happen anymore. What? The best players are freshmen because they haven't been able to go pro yet. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm the only like I, I'm not. I won't. I don't fill out a bracket unless Oklahoma State's in it, really. Uh, but I'm excited to see Zion. I mean, he's, yeah, he's a marvel. I mean, it, it's. I, I don't know. I, I, well, I'll I'll be into it once it rolls around. But yeah, I'm kind of just. Is I he the like, most likable? Is he the most likable Duke player ever? Yeah, he's awesome. He's great. I loved what he I loved what he had to say when he was like, "No, he's a, I came here to win a national championship. I'm here, I'm yeah. here for my teammates. Like, yeah, do it. Everything else can wait. Like that yeah. was so great. It is great. So, okay, Carson, uh, do you have, you want like two minutes on Rory? Yeah, let's. Uh, let let me let me preface it with this. I am now seeing everything I ever wanted to see out of Rory. Back when back. Uh, when he was backdooring top tens, not even in contention, and you were still picking him to win tournaments, is how this whole thing came about. But now, now he looks like that generational player. Now he looks like the tiger of his generation. So I, I got to give it up to you and him. Uh, I've even, I've even come around. I, I start to see why golf media loves Rory. When when he won the players, I watched uh, live at uh, yeah. the players on Golf Channel. Yeah. And it was almost like a psychoanalysis. He he goes into this, and he's so he goes to places most athletes would never go. He he like lets you crawl inside of his brain. He was like, my wife has shown me perspective to where like if I shoot seventy four, that's not who I am as a person. Like he was, it was like a psychoanalysis. I was like, how many professional athletes would be willing to do this with Brandel Chambly and Rich Lerner right now? So yep. I, I, he's a super cool guy, and I, I'm actually becoming quite a fan. So. He's he's one of the most self-aware athletes uh, alive right now, I think. And yeah, just a very he's just a very interesting person. And uh, he he has interesting opinions, and he's articulate, and uh, he, he's I don't know he's he's just kind of electric, you know, electric to be around, to talk to, to watch. I mean, the the final round was just. It was ludicrous. I mean, I, there was like so many moments where I was like, I have no idea who's going to win this. And then, well, and, then he, and then he emerges. And uh, I, I thought it was cool because it, and, and I wrote like, I wrote a really long piece about this on cbssports.com that people can read, but it, it, fe it felt like he's just kind of doing what he does. And if a win gets in the way, then it gets in the way. And that's honestly like probably the best way to play golf, especially if you're that good. You know, it's kind of it's kind of the Dustin Johnson formula. It's like, go do what you do, and if at the end of the week you're on top, then so be it. And if not, then move on to the next one. 
Because you can start to try to win the tournament on every shot you take, which is a horrendous way to play because, like he talked about, your emotions are just so up and down, and it, it just it kind of takes you out of the tournament. Especially when there's just so many elite golfers playing so well. Like, you can't even just... Like you might be able to play as best as you possibly can and not win. So yeah, I think you, I think you're right about that. And he he learned how to he learned how to putt, but I mean, it, it, putting really doesn't matter when you hit it yeah. like he was. To the, me, uh, that, that the, takes putting out of the equation. The drives he hit on 16 and 18. I wish I did anything <laughs> in life as well as Rory drives a golf ball. The one on 16 was 347 and didn't roll out. <laughs> it just stopped. Yeah, it was it was like in the first cut. It was it was the biggest hack I've ever seen him take. And then the one on 18 was just like a dagger in the tournament. Right, I mean, right as Azinger's telling him not to pull driver. He's like, "Watch this. Yeah, I'm going to hit like, it 3 330 yeah, <laughs> down the middle." You guys. I will say, I will say his approach on 18 when they showed the the tracer when he hit it, <laughs> it was tracing towards the water and I Rory know. even said Rory even said on the players he meant to hit it to the right edge and it started he pulled it just a tad and he said oh that how he said halfway there he said oh that's got to get down yeah. <laughs> like how scary can you imagine is that? if he had if he had dunked that in the water the narrative like because I, I did think the narratives were completely out of control on him like oh you can't close oh you can't win like but that's, he was playing that's, out. He was playing out of his mind. That's just sports. I mean, that's like the LeBron thing. It's like we. It, it's so tiring. It's like let's just let stuff. Let's let one tournament play out, much less like a season well, or a career. And I expect that from like Twitter and you know the the morning talk shows that are on ESPN and whatnot. But but even like Rich Lerner from the Golf Channel was like, yeah, saying it was like one of his best wins after everything he had been through. Well. <laughs> Had he been through like hell? I mean, <laughs> he's he's he had like five top sixes coming in. Yeah, like, like wait, what? He was like this mentally broken person. Like get <laughs> out of here. Like, I, like Rory even like paused and kind of looked at him. Like really, dude? Like everything I've been through. Like yeah. it was just so like it's not just you know trolls saying that type of stuff. Like yeah. even like well respected golf people were saying that. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. Well. He will be in Augusta. I will be in Augusta. You will be in Augusta. Uh, yes. Breaking news. I, I will. I haven't told anyone this on the podcast. Oh, I don't think, but, I, um, should I not? Should we cut this out? No, you're good. Okay. Uh, I'm going to the Masters. I'm going to cover Victor Hovland and yes. uh, obviously Ricky and all the like the. I think there's gonna be like seven, eight, nine OSU guys. I haven't tallied there's them all up. There's a lot. Charles Howell will be there. Howell Tway's in it, I believe. So yeah, there's yeah, be a lot won. of names. Uline maybe. Uh, maybe you line too. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I, I remember typing them all up when I was applying for credentials. So yeah. it'll be a lot of fun. I, I can't wait. It's been number one on my sports bucket list for a long time and it'll be good to hang out with you and, uh, try not to get kicked out of Augusta for being too rowdy. Yeah. Eat, eat some peach ice cream sandwiches and, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be awesome. Looking forward to it. Yep. Can't wait. Okay. Talk soon, Carson. All right. See you. See you.